Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. You come out going shopping when you owe somebody money, Johnny. That ain't right. How much you got there? Sorry, I'm going to pay him next week. I'm going to pay you. The hell are you? Well, I'm this here private investigator who was sent here this afternoon to uh, find you, but the good doctor here dummied up. It's just, it's too far. My lord, did you just say a serious musician? I don't think so. He called you a cowboy. What did he mean? What are you? Just a humble bounty hunter, ma'am. Well, hello, everyone. This is Chris here with the Hurtastic podcast i'm sure you're wondering what the hell is going on and why am i listening to this guy uh i've been missing for quite some time and i'm sure you haven't noticed i probably wouldn't notice too if i was just a viewer and a listener but you are uh tuned into the hurtastic podcast uh uh, like i said my name's chris here the reason for the absence as you can probably assume i've been lazy watching films and I had no thoughts about them because I don't know anything really about them. So, in fact, I just do this as a hobby to impress my friends who aren't even impressed when I do it. Uh, no, but seriously, uh, thank you all for being patient. If you have been, uh, if you haven't been patient, then shame on you. <laughs> but I am really excited about today's episode. But before we get started today, I just want to thank you all, to uh, all my listeners, for listening to the last two podcasts. The last two were on the Scorsese um, controversy with the marvel um universe and what is cinema with daniel that was a lot of fun Uh, and then the first episode we had here was about nightmare on elm street 2 freddy's revenge and how that is perfect cinema uh here at hurtastic podcast so if you haven't listened to those i highly recommend them because they're probably better than this one uh but i think i got something here that i think that'll really impress you all i have my dear friend and youtube sensation since pro jared i believe <laughs> uh i have my friend nathan jones here nathan why don't you say hi hey everybody my name is nathan jones uh, i've been a friend of chris's for a couple years now about don't and, lie we just met yeah well actually yeah i walked into his apartment building and here we are and honestly uh i can't stand the guy yeah but, i think we met the elevator and i said you want to buy some dun sticks and then you were like you don't want to sell me any dunce sticks. And I said, I don't want to sell you any dunce sticks. And then I said, what are you selling? <laughs> We're in different wavelengths. We're in different there. wavelengths. I'm on a Resident Evil wavelength. You're on a Star Wars wavelength. Well, I was thinking of flashing you with my clocks like in Hercules, uh, the ni- 1990s uh, Disney anime. Oh, yes, film. with Danny DeVito. Yes. Love, love that Love that movie. Hell yeah. Uh, but no, I'm here with my dear, dear friend, Nathan Jones. Uh, Nathan, we have been crossing paths lately, haven't we? Yeah. We just went and saw our friend Daniel, actually, recently. Yes. Daniel, who was on our second episode. He's also the host of Cobwebs. Really great guy. He's doing some fantastic work there. Probably why I don't do much on my podcast. I'm too busy helping him because, honestly, I like his more than mine. His is pretty great. Yeah. We were just on it. Yeah. What were we talking about? We were talking about Kino Lorber. Uh, that uh, distribution company that is not Criterion and uh, not Arrow, so it doesn't matter. Right. It's just it's not even a boutique label. It's just a distribution. I don't even know what it is. Label. They don't even give you anything. They all have like black and white spines. Boring. I hope Daniel's listening to this. This is like from behind the mic kind of stuff right here. I mean, honestly, I've never seen a Kino Lorber. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what they are. Oh uh, yeah, no, no. You know that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> That's uh, I was about to do a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood impression, but I figured from the eye, like, eyes you were giving me, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> like, no, 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 don't do it. <laughs> no, wait, wait, wait. Rick, come back. 
<laughs> right. So, but Nathan, so you're back from China, right? Yeah, I was gone for four months. Yeah, so prove to us that you actually went to China and you weren't just... <coughs> oh, oh no. I have the virus. I brought it back. There's my proof. Are you happy? Hey, you're a metal guy. Could you say you're down with the sickness? Don't sue us. Don't sue us. Okay. Now, yes, uh, I was there for teaching, um, public speaking at a university in Chongqing, which is sounds made up, but it's the uh, it's the it's one of the biggest cities in the world. It's got 30 million people in it, and uh, yeah, I taught there, taught public speaking. It was really fun, and uh, plan on going back hopefully when all this stuff goes uh, downhill. Yeah, um, unlike me, Nathan actually has a real job. He works at uh, the university here in Springfield, Missouri State, I believe. Yep, Missouri State. I was making sure. I didn't know if you were a SMS those, boy, one of those jewelry kids. Oh no, no. I ain't <laughs> no. no, I ain't no private boy. There you go. So, but you know, he's been kind enough to talk about. Well, Nathan, we talked about a lot of stuff since you got back. Because honestly, you get all my demented humor and my pe- pessimism towards film. Uh, well, clearly. I, I, well, I just met you in the elevator, remember? Oh, right. And you heard me talking about how cinema's dead because There's Martin like, Scorsese said Mike, so. Mike, hey, do you have a podcast? <laughs> Let's get on this thing. <laughs> Let's, I got a mic right here, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be five bucks. <laughs> That's a Kung Pao reference we're making right now. We could do the whole thing on Kung Pao. We, could, we really could. But before we do that, I want my listeners, if there are any, to know some things more about you and your film tastes. And also a little bit about mine, because right now all they think I love is uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 mm-hmm. and Scorsese. Scorsese being God. So they're really not entirely wrong. I think you could agree with that. Yeah. But I'm a little late to the party, and I'm really embarrassed that I think Flick Pick even beat me to the punch on this. Now, if you watch my YouTube channel, Hurtastic Reviews, um, it's not as good as Nathan's, but I do like to blast the Flick Picker on there. Yeah. And But here's what I wanted to do, is I want to talk about, and be care- be ready, because... I know it's a little crazy for some, but we're doing a top 10 decades list. Shoot. Uh, these are our top films of the decade. We put a lot of thought and effort into putting these movies on here. About 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, we had an idea. <laughs> yeah, I don't Sipping know. on some wine. It's good for both of us. We eh? were watching a YouTube Rewind and we saw well, some yeah. clips. And we watched some, uh, some of Will Smith cringing it up on that Rewind from last year. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm ha- I feel like I'm having more fun here than on my YouTube channel where I was dancing and singing. I, I liked the part where you were watching my video that- <laughs> with me and Steven in the very beginning. And you're just like, eh, this guy doesn't know anything. And then uh, go straight into whatever the hell you did right. well, <laughs> on your I'm, channel. I'm sure everyone's wondering, what the heck's this guy talking about? So I'll make sure to put a link yeah. to your uh, channel down below because that's just how nice of a guy I am. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, check yeah. out Nathan Jones. Type in Nathan Jones movie review. Don't if you Otherwise, if you type in just Nathan <laughs> Jones, then you'll get the Australian wrestler uh, who is pretty sweet. Um, I remember watching him back in the day um, at, right after I watching watching Troy. Uh, he's the he's the first guy who gets killed by Achilles in Troy. He's also in Mad Max Fury Road. He's the big buff guy. Oh, I thought That's his not name. Me. I thought his name was Ray the 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 Ram, like from the Wrestler, the biopic film. Ray but the Ram. The, you trying to do a Ray Mysterio thing? Yeah, yeah I, I asked Mysterio. <laughs> Whoop, not bad. Okay, so we're <laughs> all right. Uh, woo. Back back to reality. Oh, yeah. there goes gravity. Hey, if you haven't watched the Oscars, Eminem's there, so check that out. What? <laughs> Spoilers. Um, but no we're gonna be talking about the top 10 films of uh, the decade these are subjective 
But I like to think Nathan and I know somewhat more about film than the average person who complained about Parasite being subtitled. Oh, God. So I think this list... I think some it might resonate with a few people. Yeah, I hope so. Well, we'll see. I, we might even fight a few times. Uh, Uh-oh. Just, that's good. That's just our nature. We argue. Yeah. Actually, uh, if you, you can't see it right now, but I actually have a gun against his head right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, yeah, he was saying, hey, if you don't say that um, Green Book isn't in your top ten, I'm going to blow your brains out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Deep South. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> goodness. All right. <laughs> So, you know what, Nathan? I'm going to spring a question I didn't prepare for you. Okay. So, you know, watching my channel and, you know, being on your channel from time to time, my favorites are not top tens. They're usually top fives. So, this is a little harder for me. And you might notice that I find it hard to make lists. So, I always love you doing an honorable mention. Do you have an honorable mention film from the decade that just missed your list? I have two. I'll allow two. Okay. And one of them may or may not be on your list, so um, I'll, I'll just say the one, okay? Um, so the one that did not make my list was the superhero movie that got me into superhero movies, and that was The Avengers in 2012. I think this is the... I honestly think this is where, like, the history was made. And so, it, like, it, there's a... I, it, there's a, a way when you, like, ask me to make, make this list, um, there's... Different ways you can like kind of come at this. Oh, totally. Um, you can totally do it like in a subjective way, which you know you could put that into your list. Um, but you could also look at it from kind of like what it means for the history of cinema, uh, what it means for the current climate and the current culture of what's going on in the world. Um, but like, yeah. So for this particular film, I thought about it because I watched this movie five times in theaters. I remember uh, really just loving it because I lost, I love Joss Whedon. I really I grew up on Buffy, The Vampire Slayer, and Angel, and so I, I just really love Joss Whedon's writing. And so um, seeing Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, um, Hulk, uh, new Hulk at the time, <laughs> it wasn't Edward Norton, but um, we also have uh, Scarlet Wit or uh, no wait Scarlett Johansson who is uh, Black Widow in that. Um, and a few other people that you know I didn't mention, but uh, yeah, it all worked together and it was awesome. You know, I didn't see that coming at all, and it makes so much sense for you because when we, when I say we, I mean if you, if anybody follows any what some of my life on social media and my videos is Daniel and Seth, my roommate, and you, we're always constantly talking about film, and when we talk about Marvel films, whether it's games or just messing each other rankings. That's how big a nerds we are. We talk about ranking movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We usually um, drink when we do it, but... Right. <laughs> when it comes to the Marvel con- uh, conversations, you're the one that defends the Marvel, the Marvel's Avengers first film the most. Mm-hmm. And I always found that interesting. And we never really talked about that. And I kind of am pretty jealous, I would say. Because I... Full disclosure, I didn't see that movie in theaters. I seen most of it. Okay. You yeah, haven't seen it all. I'm unapologetic about it. I don't think I'm missing out now because that train has kind of left the station. All right, Scorsese boy. Well, I just saw Train to Busan. I just saw Train to Busan, and so like trains are like my big thing right now. Yeah, and now you're gonna go watch uh, Thomas the Train. (laughs) That's at (laughs) night. The commuter and start murmuring things at night, like Liam Neeson. If Uh you heard about that, actually, that's a pretty (laughs) inappropriate joke. But uh, (laughs) uh, you know, I really applaud that, and. I know, talking to you, you are a big proponent f- 
for Joss Whedon's work and who mm-hmm. he is and what he means for not just film or whatever, but for like pop culture. Yeah. And he did a, he did a lot he did a lot of the groundwork, especially for like um, uh, feminism, especially in the '90s too. Yes. Yeah. And Sarah, I mean, I didn't watch Firefly a lot, but I damn knew who was Sarah Michelle Gellar. Oh yeah. And I still do. And she still never messaged me on MySpace when I messaged Freddy, her. Freddie Prince actually owns it. Yeah, that's why I can't watch it. Scooby-Doo from yeah. James Gunn anymore. Uh, anyway. What about yours? Honestly, this was tough, but I think I'm confident in saying was definitely Social Network. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, that's a, it's a really good movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a movie that started the decade because it's a 2010 film. Yeah. David Fincher did Alien 3. Growing up, I liked Alien 3. Um, <laughs> Not the David Fincher movie that most people mention, but yeah, go on. Well, you know, I'm sure everyone thinks I'm an idiot when it comes to film already, so there's the evidence <laughs> there. But uh, David Fincher's Social Network, god damn, that movie was a movie I watched on repeat consistently. Because it came out in 2010, and I was a freshman in high school, mm-hmm. and social media was blowing up. I had a phone, I wanted to talk to all my new friends, and I wanted to try and see what the girls I had crushes on were, were doing so I could talk to them at school because I was weird and still am. And I like Jesse Eisenberg. That's another big thing. I like Jesse Eisenberg as, a, as an actor. I like seeing his stuff. And when The Social Network came out and James Andrew Garfield came out, it was just a perfect storm for me in like my adolescence. And it's, it's a movie I watch any clip and I like know what part of the movie it is. And it's just well shot. It, you know, that's just what it is. It was very impactful to what the rest of my life is when in terms of like yeah. social media, what it means to me. You see Zuckerberg on the news still. You still even see Jesse Eisenberg doing stuff. And you, you know, he was nominated for that. And uh, I always get pissed off when I think that Andrew Garfield lost to um, Christian Bale in The Fighter in that, for Best Supporting Actor. That wasn't, a, that wasn't particularly a strong year. No. Um, I, there was a lot of great nominees, but I mean, I think, what was the King's Speech I think that ended up winning? Yeah, which is, I actually like that movie. Um, it's not something I've revisited, but it's a, it's a good movie. Well, you revisited The Guy's Works by watching Cats. Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually, <laughs> well, that's a whole different um, uh, catastrophe to talk about. Uh, that's great. It's a fantastic movie. Oh, yeah. Watch it with other people. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting you talk about this movie because I actually have a very polar opposite opinion of it, especially um, when I watched it because I was exiting high school because I'm a little older than you. Um, and so social media was not really like I didn't have so, so much of a grip on me. True. And the thing with this movie is I watched it. I, I had watched Seven in the past. Yeah, and I had watched um, other Fincher films, which I am literally blanking on. Not right Alien now. Three. Not Alien Three. Um, <laughs> I, I would go on to watch like Gone Girl. I I, um, I, I saw the girl with the dragon tattoo. Oh my gosh, I forgot he did that. Um, yeah. I think that was a little bit afterwards. But um, regardless, um, I watched Zodiac. This, Zodiac. I and also I saw that later. Yep. So I saw Social Network, one of the first Fincher movies I watched actually, but. My point was that I did not like Jesse Eisenberg. I thought he was really hateable, and I, I obviously that's who he was going for, yeah, right. And and so that's like that's kind of the point of the movie. But then I noticed a pattern later on when I watched the second Steve Jobs movie with oh. um, my, Michael Fassbender. Mm-hmm. I also don't like that movie because of how uh, that character is, who that person is, yeah. and I for some reason. Um, there's a, a trend recently with uh, stuff like um, oh, we just talked about this the other day. Uh, I Tanya oh, or uh, like the Jeffrey, biopic films about the, these people about these 
people who are not like they've done really great things, and I'm not I'm not comparing Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg to ta- oh, like you course. know to, uh, to Tanya. But this film genre, this, sub, this genre of yeah, there's this weird thing about like some people who are just like doing awful things mm-hmm. and who are just like not really they're just kind of despicable people yeah. that like people are celebrating. But obviously that's a side rant. Um, going back to this movie though, I have revisited it before uh, again, yeah. and I definitely have changed my mind because yeah. this was you know this is like. 10 years old yeah and so uh i have i'm a completely different person than i was 10 years ago yeah that yeah the reason it just missed the list is just i've watched some more stuff that i missed out on and rewatched mm-hmm. again after i was like well if i'm rewatching this and it's like i feel a little more emotional attachment to it but the social network always will have a special place in my heart and i do understand like the it was easy to not like because it just seemed like kind of like more style over substance at points but like for me it was like there's a lot of good filmmaking in that oh yeah no i get it now yeah it's kind of like the avengers thing it's like when you first watch it's like really great stuff but sometimes when you rewatch it it might not stick or Mm -hmm. have that magical feel i totally get that um but man we're just already talking about just that one um honorable mention mention. but you know what we're gonna move to that top 10 because i'm really anxious i remember showing nathan part on my list and i think we already were doing drinking some pictures so hopefully he forgot that uh, but who, I didn't. Who am I? <laughs> so, Don't look. Yeah. Oh, whoops. Caught me peeking. But uh, he's gonna give his number ten of the twenty tens. Okay. So my number ten is a, a controversial kind of pick, uh, mainly because a lot. Of, we actually talked about this um, when we were in Columbia with uh, Daniel. But this movie is a Christopher Nolan movie. Uh-oh, I'm mad. Uh-oh, yeah, see? Uh, it, it's kind of basic, but uh, that movie is Interstellar. We used to look up in the sky and wonder at our place in the stars. Now we just look down and worry about our place in the dirt. And it's actually my favorite Christopher Nolan movie, so you will not see uh, any more Christopher Nolans on my list. In fact, actually, to preface this list, you only see one movie from one filmmaker for each oh, number. Oh, interesting. So I'm not going to choose um, a, a two movies from, you know, Christopher Nolan, for instance. Would it just be The Dark Knight Returns? Would it be his only second film of this Inception's decade? in there, too. Oh, okay. Um, and then Dunkirk as well. Oh, shoot. Um, I'm but dumb. I'm not doing those. Uh, Interstellar was the one that I had an emotional experience uh, in theaters. I remember it very vividly. I was with my two former roommates, um, my best friend, Ben. He lives in Arkansas now, but uh, we used to live together during uh, the last year in college, and we went late night to the IMAX here in town. Sweet. And we watched uh, with our other friend, Curtis, our other roommate, and then we we went there at like 10 o'clock, and this movie's like three hours long. So we got got home at like 1.30, and we could not like go to bed. Because we were just talking about the movie the whole time. And it's not uh, one of those movies that's like super uh, like highbrow or like intelligent or anything. But I, I just remember at that time, you know, being so enamored by the score. So enamored by like all of the visuals in the movie. Like there's this, this weird scientific connection um, to love, which is kind of the theme of the movie. Uh, and there's just it's all these things that just like it it fit everything that I wanted at the time, um, at that moment in my life. And it's still, to this day, I, I still love it. I still listen to the soundtrack. In fact, today, as I was at my, <laughs> at my office, um, I was listening to um, parts of Interstellar, uh, just have am- ambient background music in my, yeah. Right. It, it's like one of those films, part of the subgenre of astronaut films, like when you think Gravity, First Man, 
uh, The Martian. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm blinking on it. Oh, Ad Astra, which I haven't seen yet. Right. But. And also, also came out a little bit after that. Right. Too. So I have yeah. to, that's why I'm always, because we talked about it in Columbia too. Um, I don't know film because I don't invest, I don't invest in Nolan films. Not because I don't like them. I just, it's a weird filmography I haven't really dwelled into before. I don't know if I'm intelligent enough for it or if it's like I missed the kind of the, the train again for it. Um, but man, that's a movie I need to really watch very quickly because it's either in people's top tens or it's in top tens like not should not even be in top tens. Right, a lot of people don't like it's it. It's such too. a polar film, yeah. yeah. And I really want to check it out because I love that kind of shit uh, stuff. Whoops, almost cursed. Oh, can't say that. No, can't. Um, the censors. Um, <laughs> They're following me back from China. <laughs> oh no! Uh, but no, I, that's a movie. We, especially when you were talking about it and watching you and Daniel discuss it, because it wasn't a debate. It was just discussion of the pros and cons of it. I was fascinated because Daniel doesn't like it. Right, Daniel doesn't like it, and his points make sense. But I have no clarity to why those right. are for what they are. And you love it, and I hope I can attach emotionally to it. So that's really fascinating that you. I didn't expect it. I didn't even think it being like your top ten at all because it's just I wasn't sure how much it was embedded in you. Yeah, but well, also I will say if you ever do check this movie out, um, try to watch it in like the best sounding uh, area or best visuals that you can, mm-hmm. um, and like obviously like dive into the movie don't like get distracted yeah because it's that type it's a movie that demands your attention a yeah little bit. it's interesting those astronaut films they're either you like either i watch them all the way through which is majority of them or sometimes it's like i avoid watching them altogether because i'm not sure if i'm ready so like right. interstellar is one of them 2001 a space odyssey is another one yeah um so man that would be a very very interesting double feature i feel like but Ooh, yeah ugh. a lot of attention span yeah oh no i bit too much more than i could chew what about your number 10? My number 10 is going to piss off a lot of people, and that's why I love it. But it's also a film I will explain why I like. It's number 10. Just missed out. Uh, it just beat out The Social Network, and that's Yorgos Lathamos' The Lobster. God, I love this movie. Now, have you thought of what animal you'd like to be if you end up alone? Yes, a lobster. A lobster is an excellent choice. If you encounter any problems you cannot resolve yourselves, you will be assigned children. That usually helps. This movie good. is great. It is, you know, I... The problem I hear about this movie is that it's a little bleak. It's a little dark. Mm-hmm. And it's humor. It's a black comedy, essentially. But it's also a social commentary, which I love a lot. Um, Yorgos Lathamos is a director I adore. But at times get a little confused, not confused, but kind of like questionable. Frustrated? Frustrated, sexually. Well, fitting yeah. to the lobster. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it's, he's sometimes, like, mo- I, okay, I've seen four of his films. I've seen, the first film I saw with him was The Lobster. Second was, uh, I'm blinking right now. Uh, oh. Killing uh, of a Sacred Deer? No. It or was Dogtooth? It was The Favorite. The favorite, okay. Which I was the last like, movie he did. Yeah, which I was like, interesting. And but so you've why? seen the other ones too. Right. And then I saw Dog Tooth and then I watched Killing the Sacred Deer. He's three for four with me, with the favorite not being my favorite. Oh. Which thanks. we've discussed. We've discussed. But The Lobster, as soon as I walked that theater, um, when it came out, I saw it in a theater. It was a late night showing, small theater in my hometown. And I went with a friend and it just felt like I was in a seedy area watching something I wasn't supposed to watch at the inappropriate time that it was. And the movie is really weird in its dialogue, which is a staple of Yorgos, which I actually love. 
And the concept was so fascinating to me. It's a film about uh, Colin Farrell. Um, he's, he's having to check into this hotel because in this new dystopian world he's living in, everyone has to fa- have a partner, a suitable partner, within 30 day- 60 days. And if they don't, then when they check in, they have to say what animal they want to be turned into if they're not... If they don't have a partner. If they don't have a partner that they love. And his brother is a dog. Right. And he chooses to be a lobster. And his yeah. explanation is because they can survive by themselves and they have... Live they, long, lifespan. Yeah, long they live lifespan. a long time. And he's gained a little weight. He has a cool mustache. And um, John C. Riley's in this film. Ben Whitshaw's in this film. Um, uh, what's her name? I'm blanking out. Rachel Weisz is Rachel in this Weiss, film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the movie splits. Half of the movie is in this hotel trying to find love. And the last half of the movie is him hanging out and seeking refuge with this uh, group of refugees who escaped abandoning love and decided to live a life of solidarity, freedom, freedom yeah. from love, and being totally dependent on themselves while mm-hmm. also being with these people. It's a very weird movie. It gets graphic at times, sexually and violently. Um, but for me, it hits hard because when I think about the society we live in today and the pressures we have, um, I, I think this film really kind of embodies that. I know a lot of people have problems with this movie kind of like being kind of dumb. It's a little foreign at times with the dialogue. It's mm-hmm. almost laughable. And I totally get that. Like, there's a dramatic scene where Colin Farrell punches Ben Whitshaw because he pretends to get nosebleeds to fall in love, to make this girl fall in love with her, with him. And it's such a pathetic punch, but such dramatic music. It is kind of funny. Right. But these guys are whips. You know, they are living under a microscope. And mm-hmm. how else are they supposed to... They have to adapt to survive. And I think that's interesting. But the biggest part of this film that stands out to me, and I won't spoil it, is the ending. When I saw the ending to this film, it left me cold. And it left me wanting to see more because it's so open. Right. It is a, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting ending. Uh, something you really kind of don't expect. So Yes. I know another criticism of this film is the narration. Because it's Rachel Weisz. Um, kind of just explaining things in a very calm manner, like none of this is weird, but it's hella weird. Yeah, every, everyone has a very distinct type of tone. That's that's the thing, is everybody's tone is so str- strange because it's delivered. And this is actually a, a staple of Yorgos, right? Yes. Like, it, it's very apparent in Killing of a Sacred Deer, yes. the follow-up. Um, it's almost identical with the, the, like, the tone of like people's acting. And how they're like talking to each other, mm-hmm. even though they're both very different style types of films. Because this one's a lot funnier, The Lobster. Yes, obviously, obviously, because it's it's like that social satire yeah. um, that's delivered in a very unique way. Yeah, it's not a movie for everyone, and I totally acknowledge that. <laughs> but for me, I love the film to death. I'm so glad I saw it, and it's always left an impression. I've seen it three times, and I still never get bored of it. Yeah, so. it's a fun movie. Good pick. Yeah. That's why I use that as like a template to my relationships these days. Uh oh. Ah, just kidding. What's Sexual your number repression. nine? Ah, what's your number nine? Uh, my number nine is a part. It's a third part of a three-part series. Uh oh. It's um. It's probably my favorite trilogy of all time. That's outside of Lord of the Rings. Stop! It hurts. <laughs> it's not a Kung Pao trilogy. Oh no. Um. It is Before Midnight. I'm stuck with an American teenager. I feel close to you. Yeah. But sometimes I don't know. I feel like you're breathing helium and I'm breathing oxygen. What makes you say that? 
And this is the third part of the Before Trilogy by Richard, Richard Linklater. This came out in 2013. Uh, the previous movie came out in 2004. And then the one before that came out... Oh, sorry. I'm going backwards. Sorry. Uh, 2013. Um, 2004 and 1995. Yes. So they're all nine years apart from each other. And the story is literally nine years apart from yeah. each other. It's Julie Delphi and Ethan Hawke. Uh, and it's about their relationship... Uh, when they first meet, and obviously this last one is uh, ten years into their marriage, or about nine years into their marriage, because obviously nine years apart, I just said that. Um, and kind of seeing the struggles of that relationship, and um, you have to kind of understand uh, the previous movies to like like see why and where they are and where, like, where their headspace is. Yeah. Uh, this movie is very reminiscent of In- Ingmar Bergman's Scenes from a Marriage. Interesting. Um, it has as- aspects of it, uh, especially one one particular scene that goes on for a long period of time. Um, it's very similar. Um, it's, it's a movie heavily based on dialogue and acting, and it definitely feels like a production, like a theater production almost. Um, and so like I'm fascinated by it, and this is one of the... Uh, the movies that I've, you know, you mentioned earlier about the lobster being with relationships and stuff. Mm-hmm. Actually, I've shown at least two of my exes um, this trilogy, um, mainly because I, I'm a big romantic myself, and yeah, I you are yeah, well. The, like they don't need to, they don't need to know this. I like the lady. I like them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> my show is just a Kung Pao reference show now. Congrats. <laughs> I am a birdie. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but no, uh, I have these posters in my room. Uh, you can see them in the background of my, my videos on my YouTube channel. I have all of them. But Before Midnight is like a really uh, great in piece of this trilogy. They may or may not make uh, the fourth one. Uh, if they do, I wouldn't be upset. Um, but if they, if they don't, I'm also pretty satisfied. Oh, because it's a link ladder film. Yeah. How can we see these films, by the way? Just a quick plug from our um, sponsor. Yeah, Criterion. <laughs> um, so you can get this on the Criterion channel, or you can get them physically from the Criterion collection themselves on DVD or Blu-ray, preferably Blu-ray. Man, all that Criterion money's coming. Speaking of that, um, <laughs> this box set is gorgeous. Yes, it is. Um, Seth has it, yeah. and so do I. Well, it won't be his long. He'll be mine soon. Good, good. <laughs> Somehow Palpatine's returned. Oh no! <laughs> okay. Do you have anything else to say? You haven't seen these movies. I have. I saw uh, Before Midnight, the first one. Or no, before, before Sunrise. Before Sunrise. I did see that one. It was. It was. It was cute. It's a really. It's a heart. It, that movie has a lot of heart it's cute. to it. It's. It's. Yeah. It's. It's adorable. What about your number nine, Chris? Thank you, Dave. Thank you, David. <laughs> I didn't even see that Dave. movie, this and I Dave. already referenced it. Uh, my number nine is a rewatch. I'm gl- I rewatched it specifically because I thought it would be in this list, but I wanted to make sure it would be on this list. It's a little high, but I still love the movie to damn death. It is Paul Thomas Anderson's, not W.S., Paul Thomas Anderson's... Resident Evil? You said W.S., right? The Phantom Thread. Stop playing this game. What game? What precisely is the nature of my game? All your rules and your clothes and all this money and everything is a game. This was an ambush. Stop. Are you sent here to ruin my evening and possibly my entire life? Stop it! Ah, Phantom Thread. It's the Phantom Thread starring Danny Day-Lewis. Not the master with Joaquin Phoenix. That was a close one. But Phantom Thread I love more because it's, it's a love story at its core. 
and it's a beautiful film. It is just absolutely gorgeous to look at, whether it's the costume designs, the atmosphere, the way it's shot on film. It's just really, it's just really great. Uh, Danny DeLewis, it's his last performance, which broke my heart, but uh, I saw it when it came out uh, just a little after Christmas, and uh, it just, it's just a film when I saw it in theaters, was like, yeah, this is, this is definitely up my alley. Um, but no, The Phantom Thread, it's, it's a gorgeous love story, and it's a complicated love story, because uh, Danny DeLewis plays a character named um, Reynolds Woodcock, I know, uh, and he's a fashion artist, uh, designer, he, he designs clothes that's of gorgeous quality, and people, very beautiful people, specifically women, come for his designs, and he's always spoiled, I don't want to say, but he, he has to have things his way, uh, breakfast has to be quiet, um, his, his food has to be a certain way, um, he doesn't like things out of order, you know, so, so sometimes we have these little... He's a meticulous character. That's a great way of saying it. Until he finds this one girl, Alma, Alma, excuse me, who is a waitress at when he's retreating to his old home, and um, he just finds her attractive. He asks for a very big breakfast, and he asks if she'll remember it, and she says, of course, because she's infatuated with him, and he takes the menu from her, and he says, all right, we'll see, and she does remember it, mm -hmm. and they fall in love. And I'm like, man, that's some smooth stuff right there to do that to a waitress. Right, especially from like this spoiled child of a of a man, uh, as you probably. I mean, if you haven't seen this movie, it's it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, no, seeing their relationship is it's a really unique, unique yes. uh, expression, and it's it's a really really great film uh, just from uh, stylistically how it's like made. Obviously, it's. I guess it's um, perhaps the last Daniel Day-Lewis film, um, so to speak. Um, but also, P.T. Anderson has been making quality films practically his entire career. Mm -hmm. And so he's very meticulous, and he also is, is very like, attention-to-detail-oriented. Attention to yeah. And so this movie, um, it feels like details are what mattered the most in this movie, which I love so much about it. Yes, and what I love is the script. The script is fantastic. It has so much iconic maybe not yet but i think soon it will be iconic dialogue and scenes from this film whether it's uh reynolds woodcock um telling uh, alma that it, her just eating toast is like as if a horse just came through this room <laughs> or that when she's bringing tea um and it's not the way he likes it while he's designing clothes and he goes yes the tea is leaving but the distraction is here with me it's not leaving alma um, you know, I feel like these kind of scenes will stick in the minds of the viewers once they give this film a chance. So it's my number nine. But not just that. Uh, also check out Johnny Greenwood's score in this film. Yes, Johnny Greenwood, the guitar, guitarist of my favorite band, Radiohead. He does a lot of P.T. Anderson films all the way back to, I think, There Will Be Blood. Yeah. And it's phenomenal. This, yeah, this, this score is, like, absolutely amazing. It's, I think it was my favorite score of that year, actually. So. Yeah, it was up there for me, too. What's your number That's eight? actually who I wanted to win for that Oscar yeah, I'd like to see a Radiohead. Uh, uh, my number eight. All right. So my number eight is actually, I, I picked it as my number eight, kind of on purpose. Well, you can see this coming from. Um, so this number eight is actually uh, one of Quentin Tarantino's. <laughs> yeah, you can see where I'm going now. We did the same thing. Yeah. Oh, really? Well, with the numbers game. Oh, I see, I see. Uh, so my number eight pick is The Hateful Eight. Okay, everybody. Hear this. I'm taking this woman to hang. Rewards $10,000. That money's mine, boys. 
Oh, that's interesting. By Quentin Tarantino, which uh, came out back in 2015. Uh, I really love this movie. It's actually my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. So you think you know, Phil, but you really don't. Say what again? I'm just kidding. I dare you. Uh, no, uh, so this movie has all-star cast. Uh, I just quoted Sam Jackson, who's like in practically every one of his movies. Um, there's also Kurt Russell, who plays a fantastic, fantastic person in this. In this, uh, You have, uh, uh, why can't I think of her name? Jennifer Jason Lee's in this movie. Um, Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum is in it. Uh <laughs> That's great. You get you get a really great uh, cast of characters in this as well, um, just ranging from the scummiest of people um, to like kind of like the wholesomest person you can think of. But at the same time, everyone has a little bit of dirt on them. Uh, the reason I love this movie so much, uh, for several reasons, um, this movie is practically in one location. Uh, they're all stuck in a snowstorm in this cabin uh, with this prisoner. Jennifer Jason Lee is wanted for murder and and arm, like armed robbery and all you know all the crazy stuff uh, that you know you get arrested. So no, uh, all in the West, right? And so you're you're seeing all all of this wild wild west kind of. Is that a Will Smith film wild, reference? Wild 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 west. <laughs> you're getting the yippee all, yo yippee yeah yippee yay. Uh, no, so yeah, so you're seeing all this kind of pine, like frontier justice kind of in a, in a snowstorm. And the reason I love this movie so much, besides the fact that it's in one location, there's superb acting uh, from everybody involved, is also the score in this is by a legendary composer. Do you not know this? Mm-mm. You don't? Mm-mm. Well, once. Twice? <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, have you ever seen The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly? Is that the Sergio Leone film? It's Sergio Leone. Uh, wow, really? It's Ennio Morricone. You made that name up. No, Ennio Morricone. That is the oh. that is the the person who connected to Sergio Leone, who has done a lot of his films in in the past. That is the one who did the score for this this movie. Wow, I never knew that. And Ennio Morricone won for the score that year too for Hateful Eight because it's such a great score. And in fact, from the opening shot, it's a seven minutes score mm-hmm. piece that happens, and it's it's actually um, leftovers. From John Carpenter's *The Thing*, did you know that? And so I'm embarrassed. I've been led astray. I didn't know this stuff. So well, it's so supposed to supposedly because Neil Morricone also did the *Thing* soundtrack, um, and he had made this piece, or at least several pieces from this particular film, *Hateful Eight, um, back in nineteen in the eighties for you know John Carpenter wow. uh, for the thing and so and it has a very similar type of plot where it's it's literally a bunch of people in one location trapped with something some goods some bads some uglies not Channing no he's pretty <laughs> so uh but yeah no this movie is fantastic i i am never bored with this movie it's it's a long one but it's like it's so it like it you can it sucks you in real quickly if you're really invested in this type of movie. And so mm-hmm. I, I love this movie, Hateful Eight. That's great. I'm going to do my number eight, and then I'm going to um, explain why it's at eight, because it's similar to yours. My number eight is Eighth Grade by Bo Hell Burgum. Hell yeah! Eight. <laughs> eight, baby. I was a complete mess when I was your age. Really? Eighth grade is the worst. You never know what's next, and that's what makes things exciting and scary and fun. When did you get Snapchat? What grade? Fifth grade. Fifth grade? What? Yo, see, 
<clears throat> now, people are going to go, Chris, you, why, why, is, why is that on there? Because I'm younger than all my friends. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, and my YouTube channel, the main character of 8th Grade. Uh, Bo Burnham was a YouTube star through, got famous through Vine and then stand-up. Uh, he directed this film. He was, he was film. famous before Vine. A little bit, but that's I how knew, I, I knew him before Vine. Are you gatekeeping Bo Burnham? I am, because <laughs> I've known him since 2007. Well, I know him through Vine, and he directs this film. And I knew when I saw the trailer, I was like, this is the movie for me. This is a Chrissy written all over it. Um, <laughs> Chrissy. So I saw this movie three times in theaters. And I Daniel got it for me for Christmas, and I've watched it like twice since I had the Blu-ray. <laughs> so I've seen this movie five times, and it never gets old. It is cringy. It is honest. It is a heartfelt um, portrayal of what it's like to grow up in the post 2010s. Yeah. Because um, yeah, it's really weird. It's complicated. And Bo Burnham, ironically, it's a directs a film about a girl from the female perspective. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's also universal. Um, the 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 lead she runs a YouTube channel uh, that's about just life advice, and I love it. And I quote it all the time to annoy my friends. Um, I'm not gonna talk too much else about it because I think uh, most people see this movie. But Eighth Grade is my number eight because. I love coming of age, but I love it when it's honest portrayals that I see parts of my childhood in them. And I think that'll be a theme in my list so far, uh, later on. Uh, so eighth grade, number eight. It's a fantastic pick. I love it. I What's love lucky number eleven for you? Uh, lucky number eleven, unfortunately, came out in the twenty two thousands. It did not come out then, so uh, it's not that. <laughs> um, but my number seven is actually a movie that came out in twenty eighteen um, by one of your favorite screenwriters. I would say, uh, and this is a film that I, I love so much, uh, and that's First Reformed. I've decided to keep a journal to set down all my thoughts and the simple events of my day. I will keep this diary for one year, and at the end of that time, it will be destroyed. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. No, really. It's been a while since we've talked. Even a pastor needs a pastor. I know that nothing can change and I know there is no hope. Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader. But it has our boy, Ethan Hawke, in it, who is one of my favorite actors of all time. So high up in your list. I know you I know. and some other boys in our chats love this film. First Reformed is a movie I don't revisit too often, uh, mainly because of the subject material is very, very heavy. Um, deals a lot with environmentalism, uh, religion, our place in the world. It has a lot of really high concepts. Um, and as you know with Paul Schrader, um, you've seen something like Taxi Driver, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, it's got some similar um, aspects uh, to his films that he likes to uh, kind of like hit on these themes quite often. Yeah. And so, um, but this movie in particular, Ethan Hawke just like steals, like he, he absolutely deserved the Oscar for, for this role. Um, and uh, the independent spirit spirits were absolutely correct when this is the best movie of that of that year because that, that movie uh you know the, it's it's such a it's such a spiritual experience i don't know how to describe it um so i remember when i watched it i was by myself um and i you know i i'm a fan of ethan hawkins so that's actually kind of how i was drawn to it and so i remember going kind of like four in the afternoon or something it was a weird time and i i watched it and there was maybe three other people in this uh, theater that very many people and I remember just watching it and being like pu put into this desolate world of uh, this character who is in this small New England uh, church who is practically just giving tours 
instead of actually uh, leading a congregation, yeah. which is what he, you know, he's been trying to do his whole life is lead this, this, uh, this life, uh, through God. And he is struggling with alcoholism. Um, also he's been through a divorce. You, you kind of get, uh, that picture throughout the movie, but it's, it's such a, an insanely good movie. Um, when it comes to like just understanding the mental breakdown and mental health of a, of a character, uh, but also dealing with um, the world as it is today, and like kind of like where you were talking about with eighth grade, it's it it really does tackle issues that like I myself can relate to in a way, uh, even though I I'm, I've never been a priest and I've you know I don't um, sure preach a lot though I, I do Hot like film. to I do like to preach a lot that's <laughs> no. right he's getting the ruler out <laughs> I grew up in a Catholic home did you i did i do which is one reason i wasn't as connected with the film i will say i watched it because it was interesting ethan hawk and obviously paul schrader but it was a well-made film and it's a movie i constantly want to revisit and i do um but it's hard to get through all the way for me i think it's but, a hard watch for sure right but like when i talk to people like who lived where we're living at now in Springfield, it's a very timely film with subject matter that's very evident in the area we live in. I won't get into anything of sorts, but uh, I feel like when I talk to Nathan about it behind uh, the mic and stuff, I think he would agree. But um, I, I definitely applaud that that movie's in there. I wish it was a little lower because I know you... I really love it. Yeah, I know he likes this film. It was my it was my number one of the year. But yeah. um, like like we said at the, kind of the very beginning... I, I kind of made my list with the idea of like I have my subjective picks in here, mm-hmm. but I also want to put in the, the films that I think are important to our society and our culture and uh, several other kind of criterias that I wanted to think about. So right. what about your number seven? Well, I want to go through mine a little bit quicker because I want to hear more of what you have to say because I think your movie's a little bit more um, of a intellectual type. My number seven is Coco. Uh, mira, mira, they're setting up for tonight. The music competition for Dia de Muertos. You want to be like your hero? You should sign up. Uh-uh, my family would freak. Look, if you're too scared, then well, have fun making shoes. Come on, what did De La Cruz always say? Seize your moment? Show me what you got, muchacho. I'll be your first audience. I can't believe I'm putting a Disney Pixar film in here. But, but it's so good. God damn it, Coco's amazing. I Best Disney movie of the decade. Uh it's my probably my second favorite Disney movie behind because it's Pixar, so Pixar oh, Disney. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll just include it together. But it's probably my second now behind Aristocats. Uh which I never expected Coco to be because I was I didn't see it in theaters. But man, I bawled like three times watching this movie. <laughs> right. And growing up, I mean growing up. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm Hispanic, and I understand the concepts that are being explained in this film, but to see it in, in like, a movie, in a, in a child's film, made me feel so happy. Um, and I think this movie is very powerful for kids to see, especially if they're of a Hispanic descent, um, because it, it, it definitely gave me more of a uh, proud moment for my heritage, mm-hmm. and at the same time, it just... I applauded the beautiful filmmaking, and it won, I think, Best Animated, um, like... Uh, yeah, feature. Feature, and yeah. I, the, the, the song... Remember um, me? Yeah. Yeah. Which is phenomenal. That's what I cried to. Uh, oh, yeah. I cried too. Yeah. So, number seven's Coco. Miguel, watch him. Definitely a fantastic pick. Um, yeah. I, I would have to agree. I'm actually I'm very happy that this film exists, and I'm very happy that this film is representing a culture that is underrepresented uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in movies, and especially in such a colorful way, yeah. too. 
and in such a, like a rich there's like so so much written richness for this this movie and it's uh yeah i i barely watched it in theaters because it actually came back yeah um and i barely watched it yeah. in theaters and i was i bawled my eyes out too yeah oh cutie Oh, <laughs> what's your number six? Uh, speaking of uh, emotions, uh, number six is filled with emotions, um, but it's, it's a very opposite of emotions. Though it was more of tears of uh, absolute uh, terror, honestly, uh, and that is Alex Garland's 2018 movie Annihilation. Yes, it's destroying everything. It's not destroying. It's making something new. This is a movie that just missed my list. I'm so excited you put it on there. So Annihilation fucked me up. Yeah. Um, This movie um, is... I had no idea what to expect. I have been a fan of Alex Garland's for a long time. Yes. Um, I am a big fan of 28 Days Later, which he wrote. Yes. He's worked with Danny Boyle on That and Sunshine. Mm -hmm. I also really loved Ex Machina. Yes. uh, Which missed my list as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a really great movie. But this movie, with Natalie Portman and Oscar Isaac, uh, among... uh, Actually, Jennifer Jason Lee's in this movie, too, mm-hmm. and uh, several other uh, characters. All females, mostly, except for Oscar Isaac, because this is a movie... It's a science science fiction movie, and it's a science fiction horror movie, and it really is only horror, horrifying based on the fact that we're human. Yep. That's, only, that's the only reason why it's horrifying to us. And so what I love so much about this movie is it's about five women who are... Um, in the Everglades, kind of in Florida, uh, there's, a, there's an event that happens at the very beginning of the movie that a meteorite more or less hits this lighthouse and immolates this, sh- this thing called a shimmer, and it just keeps expanding and, and expanding, and it is uh, slowly encasing um, the wildlife around it. Nobody knows what's, what it is. People go in. They've sent in a lot of teams. Nobody's came out. Oscar Isaac, at the very beginning of the movie, comes out. But you can tell something's up, like, whoa, like, he's not the same. And Natalie Portman, who was his uh, wife or fiance, I, I think it was really, it's one or the other, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're really connected. Um, and she can tell, and so she wants answers, and so she goes in um, with these group of women who all also have their issues of yeah. why they're going into these things. And you kind of uncover their identities slowly. Uh, and why they're in there, like why they're going into this place that there's no guarantee that they're kind of going to come out. Exactly. And, and it's a crazy fucking movie. Yeah, it is so high concept sci-fi. It's amazing that this film got a major release, especially after uh, uh, Ex Machina being so successful. Right. Um, this movie is a far departure from it, I would say, but it still keeps that element of sophistication and well-made science fiction mm-hmm. elements to it. Um, I love Alex Garland just like you, so I'm so happy you're acknowledging him because I'm a piece of crap for not. But um, man, that movie, like I, like you said, that movie makes you feel very human, but also very vulnerable. I remember leaving the theater by myself when I saw it. At similar, I saw it like at ten o'clock at my, by myself, I, and I left the theater looking over both shoulders and up at the sky because I felt so insignificant and questioning so many things. Because this movie really is weird, and the score is great, but oh also terrifying. Well, you know, mentioning your theater experience, I viscerally there's a particular scene in in the movie mm-hmm. that I responded to 
that I was actually like scared. Yeah. And um, I was with my friend Hannah at the time. Yeah. And we we literally were on the edge of our seats. We looked at each other as this was happening, and we were like, "Holy shit! Holy shit! Holy shit! Holy shit!" As this was happening, and so that's how powerful that mm-hmm. that first time I watched that scene yeah. was, and it's still jarring watching this movie. Yeah, it's a movie I think everyone needs to watch and experience. Um, I think it's very well made. So thank you for talking about that because I was a movie I wanted to add to the list, but it just I just couldn't put it in because at number six, I have the farewell. What's wrong, Dad? Please tell me. Manan is dying. She doesn't know. So you can't say anything. The family thinks it's better not to tell her. Why is that better? Chinese people have saying, when people get cancer, they die. Ah! That's why I didn't bring that honorable mention. Ah! Because I knew you were going to talk about it. Oh, thank you. So it barely missed my list. It was our number one of this last year. Yeah, it was. It was our number one of 2019. And the reason for that is because Lulu Wang directed the hell out of this movie. And to me, whatever she makes, I want to check out from now on. Her and Barry Jenkins, I think, are the hottest couple in Hollywood right now. And Aquafina, when I become single, and if you're single, and we meet up, I think we'll have a good time to talk about film. (laughs) Um, However, man, The Farewell is that movie I saw in a trailer at the Moxie. And I was like, yeah, this movie's going to be for me. And I was late. I was late to seeing it. And then when finally we were all together one night, you were like, we can see the farewell. And Even I was, though I saw it before. It, right. I was like, like, we need to watch. I, I was actually like, we need to watch this movie, yeah. man. Like, and no one, everyone else was like, eh, like, I don't know, because like, it's a boy's night. And I'm like, no, watch this movie. And I was like, I kind of want to see it. I'm down. I can try it. You know, it's kind of cool. So we go to the Alamo in Springfield. Um, and... What happened, Nathan? What happened in that theater? Because I couldn't—I couldn't even see what was going on at one point. <laughs> <laughs> well, you couldn't see because um, several parts of the of the movie. Because um, you were emotion- sitting next to me. No, Seth was. I, I yes, but, but you came. <laughs> yeah, no, I was there, and I—I I mean, I—I I had a similar response yeah. that you had um, the previous time I mm-hmm. saw this movie. Yeah, and I, like I said, I, I wanted you guys to watch it. And you getting hit emotionally by this movie so much so speaks to your 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 past. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously you can speak on that, but it, it hit me with a similar chord because we yeah. have similar stories. Yeah. Um, at least with our grandparents mm-hmm. and how much they meant to us. Yep. Um, and so I remember very much so um, several parts of this movie where you're seeing what's so interesting too about this movie is it's a, it's a Chinese American movie. And so Aquafina is a Chinese American. She was born in China with her fam- family, but she moved very early on back to America. But um, her great aunt, uh, who is his, her grandmother's sister, and uh, finds out the information that her grandmother's going to die soon, mm-hmm. or she's got cancer. Uh, she's got a terminal illness. And so what they do is the, the whole family needs to come back home for this faux wedding are this really rushed wedding um, with one of her cousins yep. and a, another girl, a Japanese girl. And so um, they're just all there, and they're all just wanting to spend the time with, with the, the grandmother. And she's such a cheery grandmother. She is the funnest. Nai nai. Yeah, Nai Nai. She is like one of, the, one of the most fun people in this movie, and she has so much energy. Yes. Uh, but there's so, much, there's so many parts where, because of the cultural difference, mm-hmm. because in, in China you don't really speak about death and you and there's a lot of uh, taboo about bringing up 
this because it's bad luck, but also at the same time, you want the person that you love to experience all of the happiest memories. Right. Um, um, so that that is not really brought up. Yeah, it's not to quote the Fast and Furious films because it has not a candle to hold to the farewell, but it's about family. Right, and I live my life a quarter mile at a time. <laughs> That's right, and Lord knows that Nai does too because she's a trigger in this film. And the fact, for me, the movie that's the most powerful, what I think Lulu Wang did so well, is she throws these, these scenarios that are very relatable when you're with family, especially family right. you don't get along with. And even though those things are going on, the sad reality never leaves. And the sad reality is that Nai Nai is going to die. And Aquafina is her favorite. And she doesn't know if she's going to be able to live with this lie or break down and make things more tense with her own live family to tell her the person she loves. And that is the cold fat. That's just the reality of it all. Right. She's got that American perspective too. Exactly. And, and she they, wants to talk. And she wants to talks it. about that and I like yeah. it. I think Aquafina did a terrific job acting in this film. I wish it was nominated personally. Um, but no, this film was, for being someone who's lived away from home and being close to his family, it hit me hard, and there's some things in like my family that are different from other families, and it just for some for one moment of well a lot of moments, but it came near the very end of the movie when uh, I won't spoil, but there's one part near the end of the movie that just hit me, and then like everything kind of just came down. It was kind of like a wave. it was a wave. It was like when Lord of the Rings, the two towers, when the tree, the tree, the ants say release the river. Mm -hmm. I mean, my eyeballs started burst. Bur I never cr ugly cried in my life at a theater in front of my friends like that. It right. was disgusting. Uh, even the old ladies next to me were like, oh, it's okay. But I was like, it was, just, <laughs> it was like, I've never had an experience like that in a theater before. And I, I, I wish I could react, re, like reenact that because I, like, I felt so released watching a film. Right. And when you told me how you felt, I, I felt comforted because I was like, oh, shoot, I kind of feel bad crying about this like this, you know? No, but man. when you were talking about it, I was like, oh, good. Like, you know it hit with someone in the group just like me which was nice so but it's at number six because we got some freaking good movies we still need to talk about mm -hmm. so let me hear your number five nathan all right my number five is another science fiction movie and it's probably the last time you'll see a science fiction movie what on a this nerd. i know i know it's actually uh your roommates one of your one of his favorite movies of all time uh and i think you can oh. probably i can probably guess this now um, it's my only film from this director who I think is going to make a huge splash with his double feature coming up soon in Dune. Mm -hmm. And that is Blade Runner 2049. Every civilization was built off the back of a disposable workforce. But I can only make so many. Shh. Happy birthday. Wow, Denis I Villeneuve. I respect the hell out of that. Keep talking. So Denis Villeneuve, I really, really love. I've I've fallen in love with his movie since I saw Prisoners um, back in uh, 2013. I want to say I don't remember uh, that that particular time period, but I remember watching that. And then I watched Sicario, and then after that was Arrival. I mean, like seriously, I could have picked any of those movies for this uh, top 10 greatest movies though in my opinion of the decade is Blade Runner 2049 it's a sequel to Blade Runner uh, the Ridley Scott film 35 years prior in 1982 yes was when the first Blade Runner came out and I think Blade Runner 
And it was 35 years in the in the movie too. In Blade Runner, the original didn't it take place in 2019 or 2020 as well. I remember uh, people saying like it's no longer a sci-fi film because right we past the actual annual year that was listed. It's 2019 or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So do the math, people who are listening. Yeah, from we don't 2049 have it on the top then. of our heads, but. This movie is phenomenal. Uh, one because it is a sequel that works, yeah. um, and there's there's hardly any sequels that are even co- that, that even come close to the original. Um, but this movie stands on its own, and it's its own story, and it's it's just a gorgeous movie. Yeah. It is a film that's brilliantly acted by Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford. Um, it's got a fantastic score, uh, production. Um, it's got an orange and blue tint to it that really um, just makes it very gorgeous, and it's it's a long kind of neo noir. That's a good way. Type yeah. of uh, futuristic you know story. I mean, that's what Blade Runner the first one was. It's a, it's definitely a detective story trying to figure out something like what's this mystery of like why is Jared Leto like what's he hiding like what's yeah. going on with um, all you know uh, like um. Yeah, so I, I, it's such a good movie. Roger Deakins is the cinematographer oh, for this film, yeah. too. And yeah. he, this is where he won, finally. Exactly, which was a huge deal. I remember being at the Well, not being at the Oscar, but watching the Oscar. I got invited. Yeah, I didn't yeah, yeah. But uh, it was a big deal. At first, I didn't like Blade Runner 2049 when I mm-hmm. saw it in theaters with Daniel. Because I overhyped this movie to hell. Because I love Ridley Scott and Blade Runner. I was just hyped for this film. And... I guess when you're overhyping something like this, it's a huge departure to the original in a lot of ways. Right. But with further rewatches, and it's a movie I think about from time to time by like not even watching, but just thinking about it, I like it more because it's Ryan Gosling's character and what he actually means, which isn't it's isn't traditional for right. for a protagonist, I should say. Uh, but the opening scene is fantastic with Dave Bautista. Shout out Dave Bautista. Oh my goodness, the best the best wrestling actor. Yes. Like, like, you know, transfer from mm-hmm. wrestling to acting. Have you ever seen a miracle? <laughs> and then he says, um, you know, the di- you know what's the di- what does Gosling say? The difference between my kind and your kind is mine don't run. And then blows him up. Uh, right. Because he's a Blade Runner bitch. <laughs> Uh-oh. Spoilers. <laughs> right. But, no, I have a few criticisms with the film, but it's not worth it because there's a lot of great stuff in this. And Denny Villeneuve is a fantastic director, and I'm super excited for Dune. So. Right. Um, the so, last thing I want to mention too is um, the endings of both Blade Runner and Blade Runner twenty forty nine are like iconic. Yeah, um, I think two. I think the second. Okay, what were we gonna say? I was gonna say maybe two doesn't have the heights, but I can see the argument for it. Well, I was gonna. The reason I was bringing it up was, um, and Seth brings this point up too. Um, he, I think the ending for twenty forty nine is more hopeful than the yeah. the ending for Blade Runner, the first one, and so I, I think. With those polar opposite endings, kind of in a way, they like complement each other very, very well. So that's why I think these movies are so compatible with each other, and that's why I think in this universe that like both of these movies can exist and like be like such fantastic standouts. Like they can stand out on their own, and they're just so like well, like well made. Yeah, Nathan's cute interlinked. Nathan hates being here interlinked. Nathan doesn't know anything about film interlinked. Nathan doesn't want to be here anymore interlinked. Nathan wants me to read my number five interlinked. You're way off base. <laughs> oh, shoot. My hands are sweaty. Uh, you know what? Speaking of Ryan Gosling, number five for me, La La Land. Ah, uh, hell yeah. We did this on purpose. Dude, we're like, we're so in sync right now. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it very much because what can not... I mean, everything about La La Land has been said. City of stars. <laughs> uh, 
You see, Denny, uh, not Denny, I'm a, uh, Damien should have had me whistle in the movie. Uh, no, La La Land I love. Uh, I watched it, um, uh, not in theaters, I missed it in theaters, but when I did see it the first time, I was like, huh, there's a perfect film if I ever saw one, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I've, seen, I've seen that movie so many, it's such an easy watch film. Um, I won't talk too much else about it because it's like, I mean, it's a perfect film. I don't care what your opinion is on it. It's a perfect film. If you don't like it, you don't like musicals. And if you don't like musicals, you need to change that because musicals are pretty damn good. Uh, but I ha- I think this film has a huge, has an argument to be made for being my favorite. Oh, oh um, Chris is sorry. He actually meant his favorite movie is Moonlight <laughs> of, of this year. Guys, guys, I'm sorry. No, there's a, there's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I mentioned Barry Jenkins before. Yeah, yeah. you're right. I, I <laughs> no, I was trying to pull a Betty. You did Betty. Yeah, Warren. <laughs> From this day forward, you should all refer to me by the name Betty. <laughs> but oh, La La Land. Is it Betty a woman's name? Dun, 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 <laughs> all right, dun. number five is La La Land, and I'm not going to speak much else about it. All okay. right, let's see number five. Great pick. Um, although I did, I did guess that correct. Moonlight won. Oh, yeah. I guessed it myself. Did you go- did you Google that? Oh yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. I, I think J- Barry Jenkins tweeted me to say, "Hey, make sure you remind people I won Best Picture in 2018." Oh, or 17? No, 16. Sorry, I can't think. Are we on 24? Are we on uh, number four now? Uh, I La La Land's my number five. Oh, so now we're on number four. All right, my uh, number four. Keep trying to pee. Is a 2014 movie. Um, this was the first movie by this director that I liked and made me, fa- made me fall in love with him now. And that's Wes Anderson. And that is the Grand Budapest Hotel. Why do you want to be a lobby boy? Who wouldn't? At the Grand Budapest, sir. And so my life began. Junior lobby boy in training under the strict command of Monsieur Gustav H. I became his pupil and he was to be my counselor and guardian. The police are here. Tell them I'll be right down. Wow. This guy really talking about Wes Anderson on my podcast right now without I asking am. for permission. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. You probably like... You, Tarantino's probably your favorite, you know, director. And mm-hmm. Wes you, Anderson you love for his aesthetic, then his filmmaking. Right, right. And um, Dark Knight's your favorite movie ever. Yeah, I'm going to go see the movie party. Yeah, and... Um, you probably love watching the Fast and Furious movies too. I did just watch Fast and the Furious last night. Yeah, that's actually true though. No, I'm just. But I up. actually want to plug my podcast later on because there's actually something we're gonna do. Please do it right now. Um. So okay. So speaking <laughs> of Fast and the Furious, um, and podcasts, since we're on one right now, um, a little fourth wall break. Um, <laughs> there is. Uh, so my my roommate Joseph and I we had a podcast last year, uh, Whistlemania. And uh, what we kind of did was our whole horror spiel was practically picking an art house film and it's just a trash film. And we had two different uh, lists that we generated and we did random numbers and then we paired them together, even if there was no cohesion whatsoever. So the only time it actually worked, like like there was actually cohesion, was Cruel Intentions <laughs> and the South Korean film The Handmaiden, oh. which was all about sex. <laughs> like that whole entire, like, yeah, all of that's about sex. But, I mean, you get the point. We, we mashed two things that are really terrible uh, uh, pairing combined. And so speaking of Fast and the Furious, uh, this morning Joseph and I actually figured out um, that we are going to start uh, a new series uh, kind of a new, a new, fresh start uh, with Fast and the Furious being the bad, the bad <laughs> movies, 
Uh, we're calling it Fossbender and the Furious. <laughs> and we're doing all the Michael Fossbender films. So, not, uh, sorry, um, not Michael Fossbender. God I wish, because I wanted to see um, Fast and Furious with Hunger. That would have been good. <laughs> it's not Michael Fossbender. It's, um, why can't I think of his full name? Help me out. Do you not remember? Um, I, my biggest question is when... Uh, just... A Rainer Werner Fossbender. Oh. Yeah. So his uh, filmography, he's a German uh, director, uh, did a lot of uh, work. He's done over 30 or 40 films. He's done a lot, and a lot of his films are in the Criterion Collection. But anyway... Sounds, so like, we're... A, sounds like Wes Anderson. <laughs> right. So well, anyway, we're doing, we're doing the Fossbender and the Furious, and so, yes, uh, check out Whistle... Whistle, Whistle Mania, and we will do that sometime in the future. So let's go back to, um, yes, number four, Grand Budapest Hotel. This is a movie that really kind of put me uh, on Wes Anderson's map. I had previously watched Life Aquatic when I was younger. Didn't mm. understand it at all because yeah. it was my, my age. I wasn't. I just didn't know what was going on. I'm like, Bill Murray, okay. I don't know what's going on, so I don't like this movie. And then I watched Moonrise Kingdom, which I think is your favorite, possibly, of Wes Anderson's. Yeah, I would say that's probably accurate. Um, but I hated this movie because I hated the kids. They were so precocious and, and like so annoying that I did not like this movie. It's the same, around the same time that I didn't like The Social Network, right? There's a yeah. specific type of person I did not like when I watched these movies. I like Moonrise Kingdom now, by the way. Yeah, good. But I watched Grand Budapest Hotel. I remember I was with my roommates. Uh, at, at Well, I wasn't with my roommates. I was at the the apartment that we both all had, and they were out of town. And I had just, like, uh, I was on a whim. Uh, my, my friend Curtis had HBO. This movie was streaming on there. I was like, eh, okay, let's let's try this movie. Absolutely love this movie. Uh, Ray Fiennes uh, just crushed it as the the main character of this movie that has this the zaniest plot and the setup with so many of obviously Wes Anderson's cast and crew, Bill Murray. Um, you have um, Jason Schwartzman, Jason Schwartzman, Owen Wilson, Owen Wilson, Tilda Swinton, uh, Adrian Brody, Brody, Bill Murray. I don't actually know if Bill Murray's in it. No, no, he's in it. <laughs> ah. um, why am I? I'm, there's one other person. That, uh, he's actor. Well, Defoe's in it. Oh yeah, he's that's hilarious right. in yep. it. Um, there's just so many people in this movie. I mean, that's just kind of a mainstay of of you know Wes yeah. Anderson anyway. But yeah, this movie is just great, and it, it really just kind of solidified why I'm like, okay, maybe I should readjust my my thinking on Wes Anderson. And then I I watched Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums, watched Life Aquatic again. Love Life Aquatic now. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I've seen most of his movies. Isle of Dogs was okay. Um, not fantastic, but I really do. I did enjoy Fantastic Mr. Fox a lot more than than that movie. But I'm really looking forward to uh, the French Dispatch. Yep, um, his newest uh, upcoming movie. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's kind of a, a basic one, but I I literally think Grand Budapest Hotel is his best movie and has yeah. been my favorite. It was one. nominated for Best Picture. I mean, it's a good movie. Yeah, and it's got a new Criterion release because yeah. we, we got to yeah, mention baby. it. That, that, that sweet Criterion money we're getting. Um, Send us money, Criterion. Yeah. Send so, us some copies. You know what's interesting? I actually saw that movie in theaters when it came out. I didn't. I was young. That's weird. I was young. For some reason, the quirky awkwardness resonated with me. And my aunt, mm. Tanya, I believe, took me to go see it. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Go figure. Shout out to Aunt Tanya. Um, number four. My number four is by debatably my favorite screenwriter, scriptwriter, and director. Hmm. And I say this cautiously because I've had some wine. We've talked some cinema. Oh, yeah. I'm out of wine. Uh, <laughs> we'll fill you up, buddy. Don't worry. Yay. Uh so I'm cautious, but he's up there as one of my all-time faves. And he's only at number four, which says something. 
And that's Francis Ha. Oh. No. Yes. No. Yeah, no. I, yes. I, I'm the one with the tax rebate. Can I take it? Yeah. Uh, 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 fine. Just because you bought dinner doesn't mean I'm going to sleep with you. I'm not trying to sleep with you. No, I was pretending to be a liberated woman. Oh, I got it. <laughs> Thanks for paying. That's very sweet. You're a lady. I'm sorry, but the card didn't go through. Do you have another card you want to try? Oh, shit. Sorry. Um, uh, this is a debit card? Only credit cards are cash. OK. I'm so embarrassed. I'm not a real person yet. Another Criterion release. Criterion, uh, send us some, some copies even though I already own these. Please. Uh, no, Bombac, I discovered early on unintentionally, and um, I've never stopped being obsessed with his work. I've seen almost every single film that he's made, um, except Madagascar 3. I didn't want to watch that because he wrote <laughs> the script for it. Um, true story. But uh, Francis Ha, uh, starring Greta Gerwig, his muse, his, uh, his, his significant other, uh, she she plays a 26, 27-year-old, so you better be careful, Nathan. Uh, she's a, you could say she's a 20-something-year-old living in New York as a ballet dancer and uh, just, uh, you know, trying to find herself in the big city kind of girl. It's shot in black and white. Um, beautiful score. Uh, and what I love about it is in this crazy time of living in the 20s and in a different city, I, I, I that's a very similar theme in a lot of these movies for me, is like, being away from home, being by yourself, there's a lot of things that can go wrong and you can kind of lose yourself, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. You can make mistakes and your your life won't end, you know? It's a movie about life and how we have to navigate it because there's no roadmap for it. And literally, you can go anyway. And that's what this movie does. It has Adam Driver in it who's sleeping with women. Like, I mean... That was, that, was, I, that was his character in most of the early right, but I mean, I mean, I'd do that for him. I'd sleep yeah, with him. Yeah, I mean, look at him. Yeah, and uh, you know, just you, you see, some people sleeping around, some people going and getting into a serious relationship, getting married, people going to school, and Frances just doesn't know what the hell she's going to be doing. She's been doing the same stuff since she was in college. Highly relatable. Yes. So, and I resonate with that well. And Greta Gerwig is amazing in this film. She's beautiful. Um, and it's just, it's just a very tender film, and I think it has a lot to say. And I think it's very underrated, in my opinion, as well. Yeah, it's not talked about too often. And it, I, it, I, it's my favorite Noah Baumbach film, even after the heels of Marriage Story, which I think is phenomenal, and I'll quote that every day of the week. But Francis Ha, for me, is still that movie I will always cherish, um, and it's one of my all-time favorites, and that's why it's at number four in my decades list. Good pick for Noah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Really like Marriage Story and Meyerwitz Stories. Yes, Meyerwitz Story needs a physical release because Marriage Story is getting that criteria release. Criteria. No, we're oh. not. We're not talking about him here. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's your number three? Top three, buddy. Uh oh. Hey, you go. You start telling him, and I'll pour that glass of wine for you. Cool. Uh, so number three. Okay, so number three, you might think is a little low, actually, based on how many times I talk about this movie. It's a movie. It's all, it's the first. Uh oh, ASMR. You hear that? ASMR. That's that's wine. Ooh, baby. So this movie is my favorite horror movie of the decade. So I think you already know what it is. Chris does. Um, oh, but know. my favorite movie of the decade, well, horror movie of the decade, is The Witch. Black Philip Sif, you are wicked. Does he really speak to thee? <laughs> 
And this is by Robert Eggers. This is his first movie that he ever directed. Um, and this movie is just a phenomenal, phenomenal film. It came out in 2015. I remember exactly where I was when I watched this movie. I was in Ozark at the Ozark B&B. <laughs> Go Tigers. And, and Go Tigers, am I right? <laughs> uh, Seth and I are both Tiger alums. So we can talk about that. And so is Daniel, too. I'm an evil boy. Uh-oh. Just kidding. Yeah, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> don't, don't try to put that Nixa stuff on us. If, you, uh, if you're a local listener, you'll understand what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Dial this number right now to uh, get to this yeah. station. Okay, yeah. yeah let's go. Uh, the Witch. Right. So I remember I was in Ozark, and this is a very small town, kind of a theater. Um, it's a, kind of a bigger theater, though, for a small town. But um, anyway, I, I remember watching this movie. Didn't really know what to expect. I was by myself. And just like Annihilation, the sound affected me. And uh, things that were going around uh, the dialogue. Like, I've never seen a movie like this. This is like, you know, we were talking earlier about Yorgos. Mm -hmm. Talking about, like, the dialogue being so strange, but, like, also so specific. So, Robert Eggers, this is a like a 16th century... Uh, New England folktale. That's kind of how it's presented. It's a movie um, that is kind of like the the very first families kind of going into America, into the woods, and you know into the prairie and like trying to figure out themselves. But it's also very Puritan. It's very religious. Has a lot of religious overtones. And so, uh, the very beginning of the movie, uh, the father is cast out um, for some sins in the community, and um, his family has to go with him. And so they build this this cabin, you know, on the outskirts, get uh, the outskirts of like this this wooded area, and shit starts going down. Um, and you know, uh, they think that Thomason, who is played um, gorgeously um, by a very young, what's her name? Anna Taylor Joy. Is this her first film too? Well, was this her first film? Um, maybe. Because it was one of her first. That's yeah. for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, so like I said, um, she uh, is being mistrusted the whole time as, as being a witch or not because her youngest brother disappeared and you don't know exactly what happened. The baby Could you say because witches be crazy? Witches be crazy. Oh. I'm scared to even put that in here. Uh -oh. <laughs> um, but anyway, this movie is everything that I want. In a, in a horror movie. And this is actually kind of the start of kind of a lot of the modern horror movies that kind of exist, and at least in my eyes, at least the one that really kind of lifted, um, I guess, the A24 horror movies or yes. like kind of that atmospheric type of, of horror, that, that dread, that satanic horror that I really, really love. <laughs> um, and so I'm a huge fan of this movie. Um, what do you think about The Witch? Um... Man, when I first saw it, I was terrified. I didn't know what the hell I was watching. I was like, this is a new type of horror that I didn't even know could exist. Um, I love the atmosphere. I love the vibe of old England. It, it had never been new done. England. New England. It yeah. never really been done before, I felt like, at least when I was watching movies at the time. Um, it's still a fun watch. And what I mean by that is like, I can be by myself, turn it on, and still be scared. That score is terrifying. Oh, I have it on vinyl. Yeah, I know yeah. you do, buddy. Among other things from this film. Did, used, Nathan yeah. literally, like, is the witch. Like, he wears a shirt, he has the vinyl. Clickety-clackety. Ah! Clickety-clackety. <laughs> I be the wicked witch of the woods. <laughs> uh, 
he does this every time we watch it. Nah, just kidding. Uh, but the other thing I love about it is the symbolism, which is very evident in Robert Robert Eggert's films. Is symbolism. Oh yeah. And uh, this movie is that and the lighthouse, which is the only other one. Right. And I'm glad you talked about A24 or A24, depending how you say it. Um, this was the Kickstarter. Put it on the map. At least when I started noticing Right. I mean, too. the Spectacular Now existed before it and a few other A24 movies. But like, I want to say The Witch kind of kickstarted their horror. Right. And I mean, my goodness, how many A24 films have you listed already in our top 10? Right. Like, Eighth Grade, First Reformed. This I mean, is foundational cinema, boy, boys and girls. Yeah. A24 is a, it's a really big contender for this decade, for sure. It, it's the best film of the decade, A24. A2. It's A24, and <laughs> yeah. everyone knows that. Yeah. So what about your number three? Do you have anything else to say about The Witch anymore? Um, It's streaming, and you should just watch it and buy it. You really yeah. should. It's and a, such a good movie. Yeah, the ending still sticks with you no matter what. Would thou like to live deliciously? Yes. You the shall. devil is so sexy in his voice in that film. Oh, my gosh. Don't spoil it. <laughs> um, my number three, it's funny that he's talking about something so, ta- so satanic. But I'm going to be talking about a film that I of a. It's basically a character study. Of, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> uh, it's one of my all-time favorite protagonists in film. Um, I'm obsessed with this character and this 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 uh, this entity. What I mean by that is like it's a film, it's a graphic novel, um, it's a successful band I listen to, and it's made by one of my all-time favorite directors. That's Edgar Wright's Scott Pilgrim vs. the World nice. at number three. Not so long ago, in the mysterious land of Toronto, Canada. Scott Pilgrim was dating a high schooler. Scott Pilgrim is dating a high schooler. Really? Is she hot? How old are you now, Scott? Like 28? I'm not playing your little games, kids. So you've been out of high school for like 13 years. I'm 22. 22. Now, I really want to say, I I grew up playing video games. Uh, I love indie rock, alternative rock. Nathan knows that, you know. And um, Scott Pilgrim is a 22-year-old dating a high schooler, mm-hmm. which I'm not, but it, that's how the movie starts. Be- he's living in Toronto, Canada. I have friends who live in Toronto, Canada. Um, it's just a movie. I, I watched it in theaters with my Aunt Tanya. She took me to go see it because I asked her to, and she's just the best aunt ever, so of course she, let, she took me. And I immediately loved it. A guy living in Canada who loves this... One girl who was in his dreams, who wears different color hair all the time, played by a very gorgeous and talented Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And to be with her, he has to defeat her seven evil exes. And Jason Schwartzman is, is, is one of them. Mm-hmm. And I love Jason Schwartzman. So is Chris Evans. And Chris Evans is in it as well. And one of the McCulkin brothers, not the one from Home Alone. Rory? The, the black-haired one. Rory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's in it. Uh, and, um, there's a lot of other people, uh, Aubrey Plaza's in this film as well. Um, I love, yeah, she's the friend who always bleeps. Yep. And, Br- and Brie Larson's in it as well. Yeah. Um, so this One film, of the X's. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I did that. That was weird. Friend of a friend. I'm, I, I'm, this is a movie I watch all the time. It's like, so. you know, it's a highly rewatchable movie. Yeah. It's real fun. It, this is just like pure fun great filmmaking you know yeah. not everything has to be a grandioso thing but this special effects the acting with michael Sarah is just perfect it's a perfect it feels one. it feels so much like a graphic novel too that's what i love about it like, i love i feel like it was a good transfer of mediums yes it is and you know what i a lot of these films i are part of me i wish i was or part of me that i did and i wish i was scott pilgrim sometimes versus the world yeah yeah, yeah. what's your number two 
My number two uh, is arguably um, one of the most emotional films that I've I've ever watched, uh, and I still I rewatch. In fact, this is a highly rewatchable movie that I really really love. In fact, actually, everyone in the, uh, the boys love this movie. If if I am correct, um, it's directed by Luca Guadagnino, and it is Call Me by Your Name. Muscles are firm. Not a straight body in these statues. They're all curved. Sometimes impossibly curved, and so nonchalant, hence their ageless ambiguity, as if they're daring you to desire them. Is there anything you don't know? Boundless by the time I cry. You only knew how little I know about the things that matter. Build your walls what things that matter? White noise, what an awful sound. You know what things. You're saying what I think you're saying. Um... At least I know that Seth is in love with this movie like me. I don't know about... Now I'm looking at Chris. He seems to be distraught. I don't know if he likes it as much as us, but... I haven't seen it. Oh, shit. So, anyway. This movie um, is a fantastic love story um, uh, between two individuals, uh, Ar- Ar- uh, uh, Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet, um, who are uh, a little bit different in age. Um, and there was actually some controversy there, which is... BS because I've read the book too and mm-hmm. honestly they're not that much of a, a difference it's like 17 and like 22 or something like that it's not that bad anyway it's it's a, it's a summer love story um, it's a coming of age story uh, about two two, um, two men uh, who, who love each other and are kind of discovering themselves sexually as well uh, and having to go through uh, a summer that is like it, it's so wonderful it's so frustrating. <laughs> it's such um, it's such a beautiful like experience, and that's the thing too. And there's really without going too much into the movie itself, um, there are some wonderful performances in this movie. Um, like I said, by uh, the two main characters, um, also by the father who was in several names, uh, several movies that year, um, including uh, Shape of Water. Um, oh, and I'm talking about Michael uh, Stolberg. He he was uh, known for a serious man, the Coen Brothers. Movies. Oh yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, Michael Stolberg um, is the father of Timothy Chalamet, and he does such a fantastic time, uh, such a fantastic job in this movie as as a father. And um, just like you had an experience with the farewell, um, I've had. I remember the first time watching this movie, I just ugly cried. Um, several times, and it also has a really fantastic score um, by the one and only Surf- Suf- Suf- Sufjan Stevens. Yeah. What were you going to say? I was going to say Surfjans Stevens. <laughs> Surf- Stevens. Hey, he made a whole album dedicated to Illinois and Chicago, so he's going to get my books. Well, he's going to do, he's gonna do a 50 state, like all 50. Yeah, just do Illinois. And, well, he's done two. I don't remember the other one. But, Missouri? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Missouri. Haha. <laughs> so we're, that's where we're at. I'm so surprised that I haven't seen this film because you've talked about it, Daniel has talked about it, and I caught Seth crying watching this film as well. Mm-hmm. It's that ending where he's... I'm not going to say anything, but I don't have any... Any say in it? Yeah, I just know that what the ending is, and it, if it's... It, I got to watch it. It's a fucking good movie. It's, it's, almost a, it's a perfect movie, in my opinion. Well, if we're talking about perfect films, I guess I'll say we, number two. We're at number two now. Okay, Nathan... How about another joke? What do you get when you cross a mentally ill loader with a society that abandons him and treats him like trash? I'll tell you what you get. You get what you fucking deserve. And that's my number two. My ass? 
<laughs> My number two film is Joker. You don't listen, do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. Is it really? Just let the smoke settle. It's not Joker. It's number two. Number two is not the Joker. Uh, yeah, it is. Are you serious? Yeah, no, Joker's my number two film. And I'm tired of pretending that it's not. Okay. No one can hurt me anymore. My life is nothing but a comedy. <laughs> what about the people out there? People in the streets. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. They're uh, laughing. They're laughing at what you did. <laughs> I know. Uh, no, my number two is not Joker. I thought about it for a second, but mm. no. Number two is controversial, just like the Joker was. That's why I referenced it. But number two is a Woody Allen film. Oh, Midnight well, in one Paris. One of them I haven't seen. Yeah, I still haven't seen that. Midnight in Paris is my number two. You know, nostalgia is denial. Uh, denial of the painful present. Oh well. Gil is a complete romantic. I mean, he would be more than happy living in a complete state of perpetual denial. Really? And, the, and the name for this fallacy is called golden age thinking. Ah, touche. Yeah, the erroneous notion that uh, a different time period uh, is better than the one one's living in. You know, it's, it's a, a flaw in the romantic imagination of those people who, who find it difficult to cope with the, the present. Mm. Mm. It's a film I've watched like six or seven times. It's probably one of the most watched movies I've seen. Um, Owen Wilson uh, is, uh, plays Gil Pender, who is living, not living, he's visiting Paris, France with his fiance Inez, played by Rachel McAdams, and he caught a chance to live there at one time in his life, and he didn't take it. Instead, he went to Hollywood to be a Hollywood hack, writing screenplays, really tough job. And he goes with Inez during the, just on a trip, and one night he gets drunk, and he stumbles into an old car, because Gil is writing a book about an antique shop. Before you ask what an antique shop is, it's where they used to sh sell like old movie and memorabilia and Shirley Temple dolls, which is a quote of the movie, by the way. <laughs> and um, his literary art uh, heroes are the artists of the Lost Generation, which if you don't know your history, those are people from the 1920s and 30s living in Fran uh, Paris, France. Uh, so the Ernest Hemingways, the uh, uh, F. Scott Fitzgeralds, the Zelda Fitzgeralds, the Fitzgeralds. Um, and <laughs> and formerly known as. Yeah, well, you know. Um, They're dead. Uh, Tom Hiddleston's in the film as well. That's why he says that. Um, uh, Cole Porter, uh, Picasso, Salvador Dali, played by Adrian Brody. I mean, I can go. Um, Marion Cotillard's in this film too, and she's divine. Um, I love this movie to death. I love the score. The Parisians, they have my, they have my heart, and boy, does Nathan know that. Um, I just love art, French uh, art, and I love the French lifestyle and their filmmaking. And Woody Allen, before I knew who Woody Allen kind of was, I did like his stuff. It's a little hard to say that now. But Midnight in Paris is a film I saw late at night by myself. I just rented it because it looked cool. Because like, I know that, that artwork that's on the cover. And little did I know, I had so much shared relations with uh, the themes of the movie in terms of like the love for art and the, the, the French lifestyle. And the ending, it, to me, is one of the best endings ever. I won't spoil it, but I think it's super romantic and it's fitting, and I'm unapologetic about this film. It's interesting that we went from Italy, where I was, and called me by your name, uh, to France, and how much the setting 
has such a role in both those movies. And we usually argue about those countries' films consistently. We do. And I'm I'm more the Italian boy. Yeah. And you're more the Frenchie boy. Yes, that's derogative, but yes. No, it's not. Frenchie's not. No, I think Frenchie's the name of the character in Greece. Ah, uh, yes. Who's that's a... actually my number one. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not Frenchie. Yeah, Frenchie. Did, did she put up a fight? <laughs> tell me more, tell me more. Why is this movie problematic? Jonesy's looking at me. Weird. Ah, she's not. Ah, where's she at? Okay, drum roll, Nathan. We've made it this far. <sighs> it's a long episode, but I think it's freaking worth it. What is that number one? My uh, number one is actually a personal pick. Interesting. Um, it is the movie that's affected me probably the most in my life. Um, and it's a movie that I actually wrote a paper on and was on my thesis. Oh, I should know. Why can't I think right now? It's okay. It's, an, it's, an, it's a very subtle movie. Um, and it's a movie that hit me um, actually two weeks after I lost um, a part of, a part of uh, well, a part of me and my identity within this record store that I worked at. Um, I worked at a, record, a local record store in town for five years. And two weeks, af- uh, two, af- two weeks after I had heard that we were closing down, I had watched uh, the David Lowry movie, A Ghost Story. We build our legacy piece by piece, and maybe the whole world will remember you, or maybe just a couple of people, but you do what you can to make sure you're still around after you're gone. With Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck. And this, this movie just hit me in the face. Um, very much uh, like First Reformed in a way that it's very slowly paced. It's a very spiritual movie. And I don't mean that because it's called A Ghost Story and there's a guy with a ghost you know, ghost sheet. It looks very like Beetlejuice or like <laughs> Scooby-Doo-esque. Or Halloween. Or ha- yeah, or even Halloween. Um, it's definitely not like that. It's not a scary movie. Um, it's a movie that really is, a, I mean, like the tagline is about time. Like, it's, it is literally about, like, time and space and, like, how much your memories and your identity play into the places you've been in your life, or especially, like, physical locations. So, in this particular movie, Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara are husband and wife, and um, Casey Affleck gets killed at the very beginning, and he comes back as this ghost with a, you know, he's in a bed sheet. Casey Affleck is in the house itself. Um, and then the movie unfolds where, I mean, you're watching, uh, Rooney Mara grief and you were actually watching it like in real time too, because there's one particular scene that's really infamous, uh, the pie eating scene. Um, if you haven't heard of this movie, it's literally like three minutes straight of Rooney Mara eating a pie, like just grieving over the death of her husband. And he's just standing in the background watching and like you can like I don't know it, there's so much distance there that you can you can kind of feel that transcendence so anyway like I said I wrote a paper about this because um, the paper that I wrote was about how much my, the record store that I worked at meant to me um, and so I remember just sitting there feeling so like distant from the world um, and so this movie really like transported me back to the memories that I had in this in this record store but also at the same time watching that unfold on the on the screen itself in this house that Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck had built 
um, kind of like memories attached to it. And then in the movie, you'll see that like he stayed in the house and then there's other memories that happened with other people and different things that happened. And it's, uh, the reason this movie means so much to me, besides the fact that, um, it means a lot to David Lowry too, because he was losing his dad at the time Interesting. when he was making this movie. And so, um, he was going through a lot. Um, but also the fact that um, this is not the first time he worked with both Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck. He worked um, with them previously on a kind of a, a modern western called Ain't Them Body Saints, which mm-hmm. is actually a pretty uh, pretty good movie too. Uh, that is an indie movie uh, that I had only watched a couple years ago. Um, but this is the follow-up, and this movie was filmed in Texas, and it was actually filmed very quietly because nobody really knew about it. Um, and so that's, it just, I don't know, it's such a special and unique movie. It's a really hard movie to watch, and I can totally understand if somebody has seen this and like, ah, boring, or they don't connect to it as much. Like, it's a very personal movie for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, unlike any other type of movie I can really talk about because it's such a personal movie for me right? Um, that I can completely understand where somebody has a different interpretation of this movie sure um so anyway that's my number one um it's it's a really good movie as soon as you said you wrote a paper on it i was like oh wait i do know what this is so Mm -hmm. i'm glad i did know i feel like you might know what my number one is too because i said earlier that noah bomback may be my favorite screenwriter and director one of my all-time faves but there's someone that might just beat him out and that's because her debut was just fucking phenomenal. I'm going to curse on this podcast because this I movie... I said it. I already said the bad word. Oh. Well, all I know is this movie convinced me that I wanted to get out of here, that I wanted to go to uh, a big city with art and culture where I can do something and I can go and write stuff in some of the cabins and see the nature. Um, I just jump out of a car, okay? Yeah, and my mom yelling at me saying I shouldn't go to college. I should probably just go to city college and then get arrested and then right. go back to city college and then maybe make something to myself. Yes. Yeah. I'm so. talking about Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird. Does mom hate me? If you're tired, we can sit down. I'm not tired. You were dragging your feet. You are so infuriated. Please stop yelling. I'm not yelling. Oh, oh it's perfect. Do you love it? You both have such strong personalities. Yeah. Uh, man, you know, there's something about certain movies that you can't really explain your love for them, except just watch them and just smile when you watch it. And that's Lady Bird for me. I've seen this movie like three times now in my life, and uh, it always gets better, never worse. Uh, Cersei Ronan, I love as Lady Bird. She's such a believable character. You get a Timothy Chalamet as well yeah. as a love interest. And you also get a Luca Lucas Hedges, Hedges, yeah, Lucas Hedges as a love interest as well. You get a lot of, I think, up-and-coming stars uh, in some of their, right when they're blowing up. Um, and then you get Laurie Metcalf uh, as the mother who I think got snubbed for oh, yeah. Best uh, Supporting Actress to uh, I, Tanya's uh, Alice and Janie. Uh, but this is Greta Gerwig's first film in 2017. Uh, she didn't win an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay, which sucks. She didn't win Best Director, which sucks. And she didn't win Best Picture, Lost the Shape of Water. Hard to argue. Right, Del Toro made a really good movie. He did. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? I, Greta did something special for me doing that. I'd seen her on screen in, bun- in a bunch of Noah films. She was in Greenberg. She was in uh, Francis Ha, like I said before. Uh, she was in Mistress America. So I've, I've, I've watched films and seen her and endured her. And seeing her direct a film about a young girl trying to 
become something herself. Also coming from a Catholic background too. Um, Lady Bird, uh, she's a Catholic as well. Mm-hmm. And I went. I know exactly the problem she was going through. Like eating the communion. I didn't do that, but I knew about how that was bad. The dress codes, all the weirdness, the bad kids, the, the skirts being too high. Because I wore a skirt in Catholic school too. Right. <laughs> but uh, this movie is just... It, this movie is almost like too made for me. Does that make sense? There's some movies where it's like, I'm going to gatekeep this movie because it's like too close to home for me. I think that's why that's why our number ones kind of match up. Yeah. I, the movies are made for us. Because in, 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 when, when you clear off all the Joker quotes and, and the fake admiration for cinema like I have, I'm just really a, a Catholic schoolgirl, like in Lady Bird. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like people think I'm joking about the movie, but no, there's a lot of similarities in, in personality and just... Uh, like that teen angst, you know, mm-hmm. that Lady Bird has. Um, her name's really Christina, but you vote for Lady Bird, and she wants you to call her that. Um, so yeah, Lady Bird's my number one, and I'm not gonna argue why it sh- it, it it barely made the list because it was a clear favorite. It was I, was I already knew when after some movies like this movie my number one of the decade. There's not gonna yeah. be one film that's gonna be better than it. So. Wow, Nathan, I can't believe you really just sat here and listened to me talk about my top 10 favorite movies. I can't believe you sat here and actually listened to me talk about my top 10 movies. Well, I was curious because I wanted to test and see if you actually knew what cinema was. Nope, I still didn't, don't. I didn't know if you're just watching you know, that Hanna-Barbera uh, boomerang cartoons. Fun like. fact, actually, um, Fast and the Furious are four of my picks. I don't know, not 2010s, <laughs> how many there are in the 2010s. I don't know either. I have only seen the first one, man. <laughs> yeah, same. Well, no, I've seen three. But we're not going to talk about the Fast and Furious here. All right, we're done. I just wanted to say my Hanna-Barbera joke because it's called Boomerang, and people are like, ah, Boomerang's cool. I'm like, yeah, you know why? Because it's made for boomers. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Boomerang. <laughs> there we go. Coming right back. Um, this is Boomerang. Oh, nice. Yeah. Give us some money, Boomerang. Okay. Um, anyway, Nathan, where can we find you so we can hear a little more of your voice and maybe even see that pretty face of yours? Uh, you can find me at Nathan Jones at YouTube. Uh, just remember to type in Nathan Jones Movie Review or Movie Reviewer, mm-hmm. and you can find me there. Um, also, uh, I'm looking into options of where I will put this upcoming podcast, the Fast Bender and the Furious um, kind of uh, whistle and whistle mania uh, podcast, and but it'll be on YouTube as well, so you can find me there. Awesome. Thank you, Nathan, again. I know this was a short notice thing, but I knew I could trust you to come up with a good list that I think is super interesting. This episode is really long, which I have no problem with because this is some really quality shit-ish uh, right here. I keep cursing. I'm, Thanks, boy. I'm so anxious and excited that we got this uh, list out. Um, my name is Chris. I'm the host here at Hurtastic, the Hurtastic Podcast. You can see me uh, do my Hurtastic reviews on YouTube at the Hurtastic Reviews. Uh, you can also check us out on the website at the hertasticreviews.blogspot.com. Like I said, that is the hertasticreviews.blogspot.com. Also officially the worst name of any website ever. I just realized something. Yes, sir. Uh, I have started using Letterbox finally. Fine. Well, welcome to the club, dude. Well, um, I've had it for a while, but I just I started I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start using it. So Nathan, I will plug that DJ Dr. Jones that you have there. It's not DJ. Ah, I just mess it. It's Dr. Dr. Jones 23. Uh, capital D, capital J, uh, Dr. Jones 23. We'll add that to description with my letterbox as well. Um, if you want to follow uh, more of our you know, quick reviews after watching films, I snap because they're really quick like that. Like, bleh, scared you. Huh. Um, <laughs> 
But uh, again, you can follow uh, us uh, on on YouTube. If you want to email um, the the show and give us your thoughts about how you hated it, I totally want to read those. So send that to the h u r t a s t i c dot reviews at gmail dot com because that's the hertastic dot reviews at gmail dot com. Give us your thoughts, maybe a suggestion for uh, next episode, and hell, maybe I'll maybe have you uh, speak your opinion on why you hate me um, on here. So. Thanks for having me. No problem, brother. Thank you for uh, sharing your top 10. Um, We should do this again sometime, don't you think? For sure. For sure. I can't wait to be on WrestleMania. Whistlemania. Well, I'm we don't want to. We don't want to get Vince McMahon well, mad. I'm saying in March when WrestleMania starts, maybe well, I'll show up. We for will that. probably talk about WrestleMania because we, if you haven't noticed, um, our name is derived from the wrestling world, and so um, yeah. But if you listen to the podcast, you'll know that Joseph and I are fans of wrestling. Right. Well, thank you, Nathan. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's end this freaking, yeah. Well, Nathan, thank you for uh, tuning in with us. And thank you all for listening to the Hurtastic Podcast. Like I always say here, which I'll say for the first time, is that films are life. So, uh, well, films are an entree, so don't get filled with bread. That didn't land very well. But thank you all for listening, and I will see you next time.